It feels like this chapter, Long John Silver, is really cheery. Like, <laughs> for all the world, the like nicest, most enthusiastic crew member you could ever have. But he's also saying, look, we can't mutiny until we find the treasure. Because if you mutiny before we find the treasure, we're not going to find the treasure. <laughs> I can't make this any simpler for you. <laughs> A local landowner has completely outsourced his decision-making to a 14-year-old who, <laughs> whose only CV appearance so far is absolutely selling out the guy who's paid him money every day not to sell him out. Hello, salutations, and yar! Welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. I love this new lease of life that you've got with this, with like different ways of opening up a Treasure Island podcast. They're glorious. <laughs> Hello, uh, salutations, and yar. Yeah. I'll do that all day long. They're just basically a, a few variations on yar. Um, but <laughs> I mean, we, we started off by doing full on pirate impressions, but we realized we couldn't remotely carry off for the whole podcast. So I, I'm not really trying to do that anymore. Um, I feel like we should do some sort of special, or if there's something weird that comes up that we need to discuss in its own little shark cage kind of podcast, we should try and do the whole thing in pirate. And that's the sort of thing that sounds like a good idea until you are 90 seconds into it and losing the will to live. Yeah, well, if we're ever going to do that, it should probably be this part, because Treasure Island Part 3, it turns out, is, um, is, quite, the, is quite the brief uh, part. There's only three chapters so um, we can take our time and, um, and leisurely stroll through this one. Um, Luxuriate. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, as uh, the more careful listeners will already have realised, this is part three of our read-through of Treasure Island, um, and it's very helpfully broken down into parts, Treasure Island, so we just read, just sort of correspond with how the book breaks it down. So this week is part three, called My Shore Adventure. When we last left the... Uh, the, the, the brave young Jim, the br- brave, the well, according to according to Trelawney, the beautiful brave young Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking about this, you know, and I think I might have read our I misread Trelawney's kind of feelings towards Jim because I think I have been, you know, I've been reading them up and just thinking that he's just a little bit weird and lecherous. <laughs> I think we're we're slightly more in a sort of Ted and Ralph territory here. I think. <laughs> You know, where he's the beautiful young Jim who's always to be trusted and is perfect in every way. <laughs> you know, you just always see him kind of like drifting off, just wistfully thinking about the letter he's going to write to Just Seventeen about how beautiful he is. <laughs> There's something almost touchingly teenaged about the whole situation to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a strange um, it's a strange relationship. We can certainly say that. Um, we could say that, like a local landowner has completely outsourced his decision-making to a 14-year-old who, <laughs> whose only CV appearance so far is absolutely selling out the guy who's paid him money every day not to sell him out. That is Jim's, like, career highlight at this point. And Trelawney's like, oh, yeah, he's he's the boy, definitely. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if, if you want to get in touch and, and talk to us about about the uh, Treasure Island, or Shark Liver Island in general, I suppose... Um, you can get us on sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com that's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com we're also on twitter at sharkliveroil so let's start so chapter 13 how I began my shore adventure so the the, the chapter starts with um, Jim on the ship he's looking out towards the island and the description of the island I, I thought was actually 
I, it was interesting. It, it's coming across the gym is is pretty uninviting now, but it's more the situation than the island. It seems it's just the fact that yeah. they're on this sort of cliff edge of a of a mutiny. That you know, I think Jim's been looking forward to getting to the island and seeing it, and now he's here. He can't enjoy it at all because of the circumstances on board. Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually very struck by this uh, this description because um, uh, as you and our eight regular listeners will know, um, I uh, I live in Asia and I've now lived here for some time. I work uh, for charities and. Um, I remembered when he was sort of describing the experience as a sort of young Bristol lad of seeing a tropical environment for the first time and just being completely overwhelmed by its sort of foreignness. Mm. And that was very real to me. Like, I remember the first time I got off a plane uh, in uh, in Bangladesh, it was. And, um, and it's just this, like, oh, man, everything is different. Nothing looks like home. And, mind you, I was not in imminent danger of having somebody who claimed to like me kill me for the treasure that I was controlling. So I, I, I sympathised with Jim on a number of levels, but not all of them, I think I would say. <laughs> yeah. So they, they head out to the island, and um, as they're sort of rowing out there, Jim's noticed a real change in the um, sort of tone of the crew as well. They, they're now sort of openly complaining darkly. I think one of them even yeah. says something like, oh, well, it won't be for long, this. Um, so it, it feels like... <laughs> Um, it feels like this chapter, Long John Silver's sort of, he's really cheery, like, and, um, you know, look like for all the world, the like nicest, most enthusiastic crew member you could ever have. And it seems he, he's <laughs> yeah. desperately trying to just keep a lid on the rest of the crew now because they're practically ready to mutiny right now. Yeah, and they are useless as well, aren't they? Like, if the whole plan hinges on the people who currently control all the gunpowder letting you get along until you control the gunpowder, the best way to go about it is not to give them reason for suspicion the moment you get to the island you're going to. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, kind of, like, oh, well, yeah, fuck off. You know, is basically what they start saying the moment they see the island. And I just love the idea of Long John Silver trying to overcompensate for that and, like, kicking out enough geniality to overcome the surliness of, what is it, 27, you know, armed men with varying degrees of limb loss. And just sort of, just just sort of like, oh, no, it's all fine. Like, kind of like a primary school teacher. He was losing control of the class, but yeah. wants to smile his way out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the that's the thing that I imagine Long John Silver doing here. Yeah, and, and this is what the chat at the Apple Barrel was all about, basically, wasn't it? it was Long John Silver, yeah. you know, partly he's, he's convincing this other guy to come on board, and he's also saying, look, we can't mutiny until we find the treasure, because if we <laughs> mutiny before we find the treasure, we're not going to find the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make this any simpler for you. Yeah, brilliant, isn't it? He's almost handed out flashcards. Sort of like, now, after me, class, all right, what What are we going to do in the end? Mutiny and steal the treasure. When are we going to do it? Not till we've got the treasure. Why is that? Otherwise, we won't get the treasure. Very good. Everybody can have a sweet from the sweet tub. Now, and then, you know, the next morning, they've all forgotten it, and they're all just like, oh, I don't know what I'm fucking... Sulky teenagers with cutlasses and eye patches, basically. It's brilliant. Yeah, it feels like there's a definite danger. It could very easily go in this direction where the crew just mutiny, 
and then turn around to, to Long John Sum and go, right, okay, where's the treasure? And he just goes, I don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fucking know. And I told you. The only person who did know is that guy lying in a ditch now, you stupid wanker. <laughs> come here, come here. Look, everybody turn around, look out to see. Right, first of all, poof. <laughs> Second of all, do you see? Do you see that terribly nice frock coat floating, bobbing around on the sea about hundred <laughs> yards away, with a man in it? Yeah, he knew. So I don't know what what we're gonna say now. I I, I don't know. <laughs> Were you gonna maroon me? Oh, very nice. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Yeah. It must be. It's a weirdly sort of insecure situation that almost everybody is in, isn't it? Because the whole thing about being safe when there's a load of guys on a ship miles away from anybody, anywhere they could get help or or support or they're connected to their society in any way, mm. um, is trust. And the whole thing about planning a mutiny is that you are planning to undermine that trust, yeah. which means, you know, you might as well sleep with a hand grenade with a pin-out taped to your forehead. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so dangerous. And, yeah. it's, and, you know, and if they decided to turn on Long John Silver, he would be screwed, mm. you know. Um, and it's just interesting to me how and why that doesn't or hasn't happened yet, at least. Yeah, it's like I suppose it's a little bit like when we're reading the Game of Thrones stuff, where you know there are rules like guest right, and once you start yeah. breaking them, then yeah, all bets are off. There's no, there's no sort of, uh, there's no way of knowing where the next betrayal is going to come from. Then um, that's absolutely true. So, so this isn't so much the the red wedding as the sort of red. Seaside holiday. The Red Pirate Raid. <laughs> yeah. So um, they head out to the island, <clears throat> take a look around, and uh, the the Doctor does a classic sort of... I could almost see this in the trailer. He sort of gets off the boat, looks about, and just goes, there's fever here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's Spielberg needs to do that scene, doesn't he? You can imagine it. In fact, this you do this as a follow-up to Jurassic Park, rather than doing Hook, for heaven's sake, of all the pieces of pirate fiction you could choose, and you choose flipping Peter Pan. No, no, no. You choose Treasure Island, you do it, and you cast... Um, uh, oh, man, what was his name? Um, uh, Bob the... Clever Girl. Oh, Bob Peck. Bob Peck. Ledge can't believe I forgot his name. Bob Peck, what a hero. But Bob Peck is born to deliver that line, isn't he? He'd earn his entire career in the movie industry just stepping off a boat, looking up, sniffing slightly and going, there is fever here. (laughs) I would pay money to watch that film for that line alone. Despite um, the Doctor's, um, you know, very negative TripAdvisor review there, um, the, the the crew are still really keen to, to to stay on the island. They got they all go back to the ship, and then the captain sort of has this plan. He thinks, right, if they stay on the ship much longer, they are going to mutiny. So let's yeah. send as many of them off the ship as possible with Long John Silver, and he'll probably be able to sort of quiet them down and get control of them again. Then, um, or he's he's unable to. But if that's the case, at least they're off the ship. Um, so. Yeah. So basically, apart from three honest hands, Hunter, Joyce, and good old Red Ruth, who was the guy who like was just so completely to the point to a fault loyal to Trelawney um, earlier in this story, and like Jim, like he, Trelawney sent the letter saying, "I've been telling everyone about the treasure," and Jim Jim says, "Oh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, the Doctor won't like that." And this guy Red Ruth says, "Well, you know, 
he's the boss so he can do what he wants and he gets quite offended <laughs> on his behalf so you can tell that he's going to be loyal it actually is it reminds me of um, uh, do you remember the fast show the, that character thing they had Ted and Ralph on there I think I've spoken about it before oh yeah, yeah yeah, Ted and Ralph where there's this sort of useless <laughs> awkward aristocrat and his like sort of working class uh, Irish gardener and they have this really kind of utterly devoted almost totally silent relationship um, and I, I sort of love the idea that Red Ruth is Ralph to uh, Ted <laughs> to uh, to uh, Trelawney's Ralph, yeah. and he's just sort of, and nobody can say anything against him. You know, he <laughs> could have been could have done the stupidest thing in the world. Which which list, by the way, telling a whole uh, a pub full of potential pirates that you've recently found treasure really does rank in that list. But um, you could do something even that stupid, and he's just like, nope, 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 nope. Master's yeah. right. Yeah. Master's right. He is. <laughs> I don't know much about that, Master. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I wonder how he feels about about uh, Jim moving in. Is he? Is he do you reckon he's a bit jealous? I was just thinking that. Yeah, the it's actually a, a bit of a love triangle, though. Um, in terms of the... <laughs> Red Ruth the squire and Jim the cabin boy. Yeah. Um, so, so so this offer's made, and all but six of the crew go ashore, and um, six of the sort of the bad crew, if you like, and it's obviously the. The sort of the loyalists realise that that's too many. <clears throat> I mean, the odds aren't bad there. It's basically six on six, isn't it? But um, yeah, I thought that as well. Yeah. I was a bit like, so what's the so are two of you saying basically doing the thing that you do if you're crap at football and you're in a football game and you're just like, oh, I'll just play in goal. You know what I mean? <laughs> just sort of saying, no, I'm useless in this fight. Discount my presence entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you think this is as about as good as it's going to get. Six crew members. If you got so they got who they got. They got the doctor Trelawney, um, the captain Jim, and these three, these three loyalists. So there's seven of them against mm. six six crew members, and mm. they've got the element of surprise and I assume loaded weapons. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought the odds are too bad there to take the ship, but. Yeah, it's a bit weird that. Maybe yeah. they're worried. Maybe they just don't want to run the ship themselves. Uh, <laughs> they're just yeah. like, oh no, well, that's that's for men of lower orders. And we don't have enough. <laughs> I'd love that. Love that if the class system really was the thing that killed them. Treasure Island reveals itself as an unheralded Marxist classic. Yeah, if they don't feel they can sail the ship with six men, though, I don't know what they're waiting for here. I don't know how they get out. Yeah, I mean, they're sort of screwed either way, aren't they? Yeah, that situation I mean, is never going to improve. Exactly. I know less than nothing about sailing ships of this sort, so either maybe it's possible, but it, there, there are a lot of ropes. Pretty sure there's more than six men's worth of ropes up there, you know. Yeah. So, eh, I, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It does beg the question: if not now, then when? Hmm. Like, what's your what's your what's your plan here? Hmm. Um, so Jim thinks, well, we can't we can't take the boat with uh, six, uh, seven on six. I don't like those odds. So he um, he sneaks onto one of the landing boats. And uh, Long John Silver rec- like notices him jumping on and sort of shouts over, "Is that Jim?" And um, and as soon as they land, Jim leaps out of the boat and just just cheeses it. He just runs away. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what do you think the effect of this is going to be on on Long John Silver? Right, who's seen him get on and knows that something's a bit. You know, he's been discussing it on board deck. Knows that Jim isn't entirely squared, you know. Certainly doesn't know the plan, hmm. and then sees him just get off and run into the woods. <laughs> if you were Long John Silver, would you be looking at him going, "Has he got the map? 
She's going for the fucking treasure. Every <laughs> like absolute hail mary play, audacious, audacious play from the young buck. He's like, fuck it, I'm getting it myself. Here we go. Yeah, I don't know. This is one of the interesting parts of this book here. We we don't know what Long John Silver makes of this. Um, he could because yeah. um, he's very cunning. He, he could look at it and think, ah, oh, hang on a minute, this something something's fishy about this. Um, or he could just look at him and he, he might. I'd imagine Long John Silver is the type of if it were he like Jim's age, he'd probably want to like just get it get on the island just and just run amok and just go and explore. If he's like an adventurous young like boy, so that is he, true. he might just look at that it and think, true. oh yeah, good for him. He wants to. And th- the last chapter, Long John Silver was saying to him, "Oh, you're going to love this island. There's loads to you know loads to explore and do." So I suppose it makes sense that he'd. Sort of, if he was sort of quite strong-willed, he'd just jump on a boat and then uh, run off into the jungle straight away. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely an argument uh, for that, but I'm not sure that as a pirate, just sort of looking at weird occurrences on the other side of the world and shrugging and letting letting events play out how they may is necessarily a survival technique. No, like I would have expected Long John Silver to be like, yeah, that's unpredicted and therefore suspicious and possibly therefore threatening is what I would expect him to do more of, you know. Yeah. Uh, We go on to chapter 14, the first blow. So um, Jim actually begins to enjoy himself now. He's exploring the island. Um, He sees a rattlesnake. He sees a a few wild ducks. Um, (laughs) So the range of of wildlife is what you're saying there, Matt. He saw saw the whole range. (laughs) Everything from rattlesnakes to wild ducks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just in the middle of fairly nondescript gerbil, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, so he's, he's actually yeah he begins to forget about why he's why he's there. I think, um, and then he hears voices, so he uh, he sneaks over and listens in. It's Long John Silver and one of the honest crew members um, called Tom, and uh, it looks like Long John Silver's trying to convince this guy as well at first. And um, and this guy's yeah. this guy's saying, oh, you know, I want no part in this. And um, they're interrupted by a scream um, from a little bit further around around the island. Um, and this is a a guy called Alan. It turns out who's just being killed because he um, has sort of won't join them either. And yeah. and Tom basically says, you know, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. And walk turns his back on Long John Silver and walks away. Basically says, you know, if you're going to kill me, kill me, and, and turns his yeah. back on him. Uh, Long John Silver obliges. He 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 throws his um, his crutch and it hits him so hard in the like between the shoulder blades, I think, that it knocks him knocks him down. And then um, and and then he sort of leaps on him and, and stabs him. And it's like this is just sudden, extreme yeah. violence, um, just yeah. kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting sort of thing, isn't it, about how how this sort of thing works? Because they clearly have a relationship, these two. And he's saying, you know, well, I know you're an honest man, Long John, and you know, and because Long John Silver's kind of trying to get him on side without saying, you know, I'm the ringleader of all of this. He's yeah. saying, you know, I can't can't prevent them from doing what they're going to do. You better better go along with it with me, good old Long John. You know, honest Long, honest honest <laughs> Long John. You know, and um, and then. Like, in a twinkling, there's this scream. And you can almost see, 
Long John Silver roll his eyes and go, right, well, he's, he, I'm killing him then, aren't I? Mm. You know? Um, and um, and then he just does it in an instant. It's just really brought home to me the fact that, you know, this one of the reasons why this whole seafaring age was so extraordinary was because stuff managed to happen even though, you know, it was everybody was playing an extremely difficult computer game with only one life and no saves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that, and, you know, and this guy decides nonetheless to turn his back on fair enough a guy who's what i don't know 20 30 yards away other side of a clearing mm. and with only one leg yeah. you'd fancy your chances wouldn't you you'd think <laughs> i think I'm, I'm i'm in a decent position here for a haughty exit no matter what's going to happen around the next corner where there's 20 dudes with cutlasses out right now i'm going to get my exit i'm going to get that happening yeah and clearly long john has practiced <laughs> it's quite the throw, isn't it? This, <laughs> yeah, the championship level intercontinental ballistic crutch throw, <laughs> just right in the middle. Because this is this is an absolute one shot or nothing play, isn't it? <laughs> if he misses, he's a man without a leg and without a crutch, standing in a, a presumably not terribly well tended or mown area of forest on a deserted island. Like that's yeah. that's that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, it it did feel a bit like that bit. Um, it was sort of a special move in like a beat 'em up game, and we were just like <laughs> launches and <then> KO. <laughs> <laughs> Long John Silver wins. Yeah. Oh, then it's a finish him and just jumps on him and knives him, which is he does prevent. <laughs> yeah, which is which is where it goes from the you know kind of slapstick. Mm. I would say, to the fairly horrifying yeah. that this guy is able to propel himself across a clearing with a dagger in his hand and just yeah. two hits and the guy's gone, you know. Yeah, pro- propel um, himself across a clearing with no crutch as well. He just sort of leaps. Yeah, how's he done that? Yeah. Just sort of phenomenal thigh muscles. <laughs> Long John Silver must One massive have. massive thigh. <laughs> practiced for this. He's practiced for such a time as this. You know, <laughs> flying through the air. Yeah. I love Jim's reaction because um, everything sort of goes a bit sort of hazy and when he sort of in shock and when he even comes to about it, he, he can't quite believe that that it's happened, that someone's just died like yeah. like that. And um, yeah. I think this that's, that is a very believable, natural reaction to have um, that anyone would have when they see for the first time somebody killed, um, yeah. that an actual life yeah. just ended. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's I think that's particularly to see it happen in such violence. And I think I think here we do need to rewind to our first episode where we gave a probably still slightly justified kicking to Robert Louis Stephen in particular, Stevenson in particular, and Victorian social mores in general in literature, where we were like, of course, his mum faints uselessly. <laughs> this is such a sexist trope in literature. But in fairness, Jim also faints. Mm. And it's interesting that he said, I don't really know what it is to faint. I don't really know what that is, but it definitely if I didn't faint, I came flipping close is basically what he says. Yeah, he sort of grays out, doesn't he, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's I, that was a that was that was a very interesting kind of um corrective for me, I suppose. But I I'll tell you the other thing I'm thinking about. Do you think it was the plan? 
for Long John Silver to go off into the brush with one of these unturned guys, leaving the other unturned guy with a whole bunch of dudes, for that bunch of dudes to threaten him immediately and then kill him with horrible screams? Or do you think that like Long John Silver, the moment he gets back to the clearing, he's going to be like, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? It sound travels, numbnuts. They've heard that. You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. love the idea of this continuing inability to control a bunch of murderous three-year-olds. He's basically Long John Silver's job now. Yeah, I think it is that. I think it's the latter because it, it feels to me like he's, um, for all his sort of ability and um, how um, sort of charismatic he is, he is only just about keeping um, a lid on this mutiny and his his grasp and control of over the rest of the crew isn't exactly um, isn't exactly uh, you know perfect. Uh, far from it. It's, no, it's no, sort of, not at all. Yeah. It, 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 and again, it's probably the fact that they're mutinying means they just aren't. They, they're naturally going to be much less disciplined than a than a loyal crew. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I did sort of the image that occurs to me here is this sort of dynamic of basically when you're running a ship in this era, you're never really in control as such. You're just the person they're most scared of. They need to be more scared of you than they are scared of drowning or waves or any of the other things that would happen to them. You know, they need to be more scared of you than that. And um, and I thought this was really interesting sort of, sort of image, really, of, of how this thing kind of worked. You're not in control. All you are is herding cats. And as it turns out, if all you need to do is keep them on board a ship, you can herd cats. Hmm. If you put cats on board a ship, they yeah. will stay on that ship. You're going to get covered in scratches and crap by the end of the voyage, but they will stay on that ship. And it was an interesting little thing for me of like, that's exactly what he's doing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like um, he's, he's even with this, he's managing to keep a lid on it because, yeah, they've started killing people already without... Maybe it was with his say-so, maybe we'll find out, maybe not. Um, but for Jim, this clears up any, you know, if he had any lingering hope that Long John Silver wasn't as bad as he sounded by the apple barrel, um, you know, this is, it's clear that he is just as violent and dangerous as, as Jim feared. So Jim runs away and he's panicking now, thinking, well, I'm finished. I can't get off back off the island and back to the ship. Um so they're going to find me. They're either going to find me and kill me or I'm going to be stuck on the island forever and I'm going to die of yeah. starvation. Um, there's only so much duck you can catch and eat. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Well, and, and I, I think I think it's both to Robert Louis Stevenson's and Jim's credit that he doesn't do the thing which I would expect to happen at this point if this was like a modern TV series, which is Jim ends up realising, my God, I'm going to have to kill a man, mm. you know, or like, you know, he's going to have to prove his worth, you know, pretend to be a mutineer and do a whole kind of under the radar thing. Yeah. Um, he doesn't do that. He's just like, well, that's me dead then. <laughs> I think that's, there's something to be said, I think, for a character that keeps his morals for longer than 30 seconds in the pinch. Yeah. But maybe I've just been watching too much Game of Thrones recently. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd have definitely gone for option two. I'd have wandered out the clearing and right, boys, when's the mutiny happening? <laughs> definitely part of this. <laughs> I am on board. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, so Jim runs and runs until it, he says some fresh alarm brings him to a standstill. What is this fresh alarm? 
<gasps> it's a Goosebumps style cliffhanger or a Dan Brown style cliffhanger because we find out straight away next chapter. We're going to call it a Goosebumps cliffhanger because I don't want us to talk about Dan Brown fondly <laughs> on any level. All right. R.L. Stein is all right with me. We shall never speak of the Da Vinci Code again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what the church wanted. That is true. <gasps> Damn it, Matt. They're, they're in my head, man. They're in my head. The conspiracy oh, lives. Dear. Yeah, if you haven't listened to it, I would recommend our um, our read through of the Da Vinci Code simply for if you want to see us absolutely take apart a book, that's the uh, that's the <laughs> one to listen to. Um, so chapter fifteen, the man of the island. So Jim's shocked by um, this figure jumping out of the undergrowth. He's not even sure it's a man at first, but it, it turns out to be. Um, so he's so. <laughs> I do like that intro where he's not sure it's a man. It's like what else? He's like how over? How really? How bearded is he? I mean, I understand maybe you haven't seen a monkey before, but there's still a significant difference between an unkempt, unshaven man and any other primate. But he's like, I did not know it was man. It was beast. It was strange. Willow the wisp. <laughs> I was thinking actually, it kind of it rung true for me that because I was imagining it. I could see it again in a film, like like a shadow just leaps like across the front of the frame, and he goes, <gasps> and you know you can't see what it is yet. Um, so he, he he's so freaked out by it, he just, he decides to run back to Long John Silver. He thinks well, he, Long John Silver is not as bad as whatever this thing is. Um, but this figure sort of runs after him in like an arc, basically cutting him off. And um, That's intense. Yeah, and Jim's thinking, oh, I'm trapped. And then he remembers he's got his gun. So he pulls out his piece. He's loaded. Pulls out his- <laughs> <laughs> he's, he is packing heat on this island. <laughs> on the ankle holster. So he pulls it out. Um, and he just sort of... It's amazing because he goes from like running away to pulling the gun out. And then uh, this guy emerges from the forest and gets on his knees. So he's immediately got the guy on his knees with the gun pointed at him. So it's an amazing reversal, and um, this... <laughs> it's great. It's Tar- Tarantino with an eye patch. This isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh stuff. yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's, and uh, and this guy on his knees says, you know, I'm the, he basically says he's, he's called Ben Gunn. Um, he's been marooned on the island for three years. Um, he's wearing these sorts. <laughs> um, Jim like describes it saying he's got a pleasing appearance, and then goes on to describe him as like horrendously sunburned with blackened lips and wearing these sort of tattered clothes that are uh, like practically falling off him, and uh, all massively unkempt. And he just sounds in the worst way possible. It was just so funny that he begins by saying he was pleasing to the eye. <laughs> <laughs> what you way? See, you're right. Actually, I hadn't that hadn't struck me. But you're right. That's that's again such a Victorian thing to say. Like you know, you kind of like saying how do you do without really meaning it. You know, like the way they would in a similar way. If you're going to describe somebody's appearance, you have to say he was pleasing to the eye. I noticed he had a variety of interesting pustules hanging from one earlobe. <laughs> he had a missing half and nose, and and the overall effect was that of an elephant inhaling something through a large tube. But he was pleasing to the eye. Yes, yes, quite. Um, now, after three years stuck on the island alone, with not much as a word to another another Christian man, as he says. Um, yeah, I, that was an interesting one as well, wasn't it? Like, um, like Christian as a synonym for stuff I know. Yeah, as, or just like, civilized, you know, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like an extremely, extremely un um, un pluralistic society, un undiverse society comes yeah. from, which you know, England two hundred and fifty years ago. Fair enough. Meeting a Welshman was notable. So, <laughs> <laughs> look, 
He runs like a Welshman. <laughs> Doesn't he run like a Welshman? <laughs> Sorry, Family Guy reference. So. Classic. Um, yeah, yeah. So he he after three years on the island with no one to speak to and to ponder upon all the things he's missing, um, he wants one thing. And surprisingly enough, it, it, the first thing he wants isn't passage off the island. Um, or any other sort of help. He wants cheese. He's like, I've been dreaming of cheese. Have you got any cheese? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I know that you're not a... Um, uh, you're not a, much of a Terry Pratchett aficionado. Hmm. Although we did more, and we had a good time doing more, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a there's another character in, uh, in the, the Discworld universe who's basically... He's the worst wizard in the world, and he's somehow, by a magical accident, ended up getting marooned in one of these books on a desert island. And he, he's doing exactly the same thing. He's, like, he's like obsessed with potatoes. <laughs> obsessed with potatoes. And so it's brilliant. There's this whole scene where he's, like, he's on the island, and then magically these kind of impossibly beautiful women emerge from the surf and kind of walk up to him and say, uh, you know, oh gosh, um, you know, all of our menfolk have been killed and we're looking for a man to help us repopulate our tribe. You may be wondering why we're all impossibly beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, it just just happens to be one of those weird genetic things. And Anyway, we're here to offer you, uh, you know, uh, sensual pleasures such as you may not have ever dreamed. And he just looks at them and goes, oh, wow, could, could I have a mashed, please? <laughs> And I just thought of that. I was like, this is brilliant. This is uh, superb. Could could I have it perhaps grilled on toast? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jim, to his credit, doesn't just sort of look at him and just say, do I look like I'm carrying cheese? <laughs> Who do you think I am? Um, anyway. Yeah, I'll just look in my refrigerated cod piece over here <laughs> and uh, and crack it out. No, of course I haven't got any cheese. Come on, man. Get it together. <laughs> uh, ben says that, A, he's pious. And, and by extension, trustworthy. And B, he's rich. He, the, he's, he's um, saying he's rich. Um, this is throughout this conversation. He, from what I could tell, he hints, but doesn't outrightly say um, that he knows where the treasure is. Um, he's sort of later, later on. He says, "Oh, and then make sure you tell um, you, you know, the guy in charge that um, I've been thinking of little else other than the treasure." Um, it's basically like it's, it's almost like like a politician's like saying enough to give the impression of something but without actually saying saying it confirming he does know yeah, that's brilliant you want your jim to crack out his best paxman and be like can you either confirm or deny the existence of impossible riches on this island can you confirm or deny minister we've literally nowhere else to be i will ask this question all night <laughs> No, but, um, it sounds like Ben knows very well of Flint and Long John Silver. Um, Jim sort of tells the whole story to the... Jim sort of trusts Ben pretty quickly and decides he's mm. going to sort of tell him the whole tale so far. And um, <laughs> at the end of it, Ben says... Would, um, he basically asks if, uh, if the squire's going to um, sort of take Ben Gunn in. And Ben says, you know, would the squire be um, a liberal man? And uh, and Jim says, "Oh, he's the most liberal of men." I thought he is the most liberal of tongues, hasn't he? We know that. Yeah, he has. He's really got his measure there, hasn't he? Uh, liberal meaning loose, a little bit kind of loose, even a little bit kind of unhinged. That definitely, if you're looking for a word to describe him, then yes, that is the word. 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure he'll do whatever I ask him to do. He likes my legs. <laughs> you know? Like that's but that's the vibe that's out, yeah. isn't it? You've got to give Ben um credit as a negotiator here. In that, um, you know, not in the strongest position, marooned on the island for three years, desperate to get off, um, rather than just saying, oh, please, let me come on the ship and I'll do anything you want, he says he wants a grand and passage home. So a £1,000 and passage home um, to yeah. secure his services. Um, I, love the, I, love, I love how he says um, he, he does the £1,000 first, yeah. and then it's almost as if the idea of being screwed over again occurs to him, and he's like, and passage home, right? <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like how I've discovered apparently if you buy like a, a like a hiking rucksack in, in America, it's not unusual for them to sell you the straps separately and just being like, what the, what is this? Really? How am I going to put that on? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Amazing. How am I going to put that on my back? Yeah, all right. An extra $60 for the straps then, is it? Well done. And that's absolutely, he's in the extra $60 for the straps mind space when he says, right, I want a thousand pounds. And a trip off this island, so I don't have to use this money to wipe my ass. You know, that's the that's the position. That yeah, in. I had the same thing with um when I first bought a bed, and they were like, and then the mattress is extra. And I was like, well, no, yeah. well, it's not a bed. It's like it's like buying it's a car and an engine. It's like, you yeah. do touch the mattress that's as well. Absolutely don't you? true. <laughs> Yeah, and so the mattress is actually only 120% of the price of the bed. You just want to be like, all right, you try and sleep for a night on it without a mattress on it, and then see if you still want to describe it using the word bed at the end of it. Yeah. Shall we? I don't know. I mean, anyway. So, yeah. so yeah, Ben's after his passage home and his £1,000. And um, he says that he was he was an old member of Flint's crew, and um, he talks about how this is how this is how Flint buried the treasure. Flint get, got all sort of um, he was the uh, crazy king in um, in what's it in Game of Thrones who got someone to build the red red keep and then killed them all. He's basically did that. He he went onto the island. Oh, with, yeah, yeah. So he goes onto the island with six men, six crew members. They spend a load of time digging this massive hole to stick all the treasure in, and then Flint. Is the only one who returns, so he kills all of them, um, which really gives you a feel for just how terrifying this captain would have been. And um, yeah, no and then doubt. returns alone to the boat, and yeah. <laughs> assuming Billy just goes, "Don't worry about it, they're dead. <laughs> Let's carry on." <laughs> and everyone's like, "Okay." Um, terrified and you can you can see where the legend of Flint comes from. How everybody has spoken about Cap- Captain Flint has been dead. For ages, yeah. for this novel, yeah. and yet still he kind of he he commands everybody's respect and fear and terror, really. Yeah. And it's because of this sort of thing. He can go onto an island for a week with six guys and a load of treasure, and come back saying, "Well, that treasure's definitely mine now, isn't it?" Anyway, moving on. Yeah, and he's got these two sort of very capable and terrifying lieutenants as well in um, Long John Silver and Billy Bones. Um, so. Yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, so um that was his that was Ben Gunn's first visit to the island and then he returned a while later um with a different crew on a different ship, recognized the island and said, "Oh, this is where the treasure is. Let's find it." And and the the sort of crew said, "Okay." And the cap- against his better nature, the captain the captain said, "Oh, go on then." They spent 12 yeah. days there. After 12 days of not finding it, they basically marooned him as punishment for wasting the time, which seems really harsh. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I do quite I like. You can see how he would get there. You know what I mean? After like just one thing after another after another, and then at the end of it, it's like kind of. Do you know what? Fuck it. You're staying. You're yeah. staying. It's like it's exactly the right kind of petty, isn't it? Mm. Um, but but it is also astonishingly harsh. It's basically a death sentence to somebody for inconveniencing you for a week. <laughs> and what were you gonna? You were a pirate. What were you gonna do? What, do you have big plans for that week? Needed to make some. Need to make some serious paper somewhere else. No, of course you didn't. <laughs> yeah. So um. So he was. Mar- that's how he ended up marooned for three years. And as we say, yeah. he he says he's thought of little else other than the treasure, but he doesn't quite go so far as to say he found it. Um, and then the conversation is interrupted by a cannon shot, and then gunfire. So they <gasps> they, they it's make all kicking off. Noise. Yeah, basically that's what Jim says. It's like it's kicking off. <laughs> <laughs> it's all kicking off. Come on, let's go. Brilliant. So they make it. So they run towards the sound, um, and Ben is so like adept at. Like running through jungle now, he's actually as Jim's sort of running as fast as he can. Ben's running next to him, just like chatting. <laughs> just, I just thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, that reminded me yeah, again of, of like that fast fast show sketch where it's the horse race and like everyone's like racing as fast as they can, and there's one guy just sort of like trotting along next to him, just chatting. <laughs> it felt a bit like that. Um, yeah. So he says, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. he says, yeah, oh, on your left, that's where I killed my first goat. And then, like, just further over there, there's the graveyard. And he said, you can see the mounds, especially where the men have been buried. He says, like, I, I sometimes yeah. go over there to sort of, like, pray and stuff because it seems quite solemn. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and then they see a Union Jack um, flag. I mean, okay, for the, for the pedantic among you. Uh, the Union flag, because it isn't on a ship, um, raising hey. above, yeah, raising above the the tree line, and that's yeah. where we end the chapter. Well, from the previously unglimpsed stately home that's to be found in the, where's the flagpole come from on well, an island? Well, quite. What's happened here? And uh, what and yeah. a cliffhanger, Matt! What a cliffhanger! <laughs> it, it puts it puts uh, one day at Horrorlands. I continued down the slide at the fun fair, which was getting uncomfortably warm, <laughs> solidly in the shade, doesn't it? This, this, this is the new title holder. <laughs> My favourite one day at Horrorland cliffhanger. Um, this is another book that we did earlier. Um, in fact, pretty much this time last year, because we did it as a spooky, spe- spooky special. Um, we did, yeah. Yeah, um, there was the when the, these kids get cornered by a wolf and it's growling at them. And then that's the end of the chapter. And the start of the next chapter, the wolf just wanders off. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was amazing. The wolf sprang out, eyes light with the hells of lights of hell's furious kingdom. Chapter 12, the wolf walked away calmly. <laughs> yeah. That was great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that, that brings us to the end of, uh, of part three of Treasure Island. Like we say, um, one of the briefer... Um, bits of uh, literature we hope we've had to read in this but uh it's a, it's a lot longer next week we've got the stockade next week um spoiler oh, classic alert. spoiler alert. I, do, I, think I was gonna just... say uh, perhaps, perhaps my question has been answered <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that maybe that's where the uh where this flag is but yeah so we're gonna we're gonna have a look at the the parts called part four the stockade for next week and uh you know Thoroughly enjoying. I've said it at the end of every every uh, part so far, but thoroughly enjoying Treasure Island. It's a, it's yeah, a darn great, good read, even even Absolutely. so many years on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. And it, it's a classic for a reason. And I love coming across things that are classics for a reason. Because we've yeah. read a fair few classics where I've been, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is just lovely. <laughs> cough, cough. Catcher in the rye. Cough, cough. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, that, was, that was a stacked deck. I knew I was going into that as a hater. I was a <laughs> hater and I was going to hate. <laughs> Um, as we say, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can get us on sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com or at sharkliveroyal on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we will have the, the next episode up uh, next week. So uh, if you're reading along with us, uh, read part four for next week. Until then, Dave. Gosh. Until then, Matt. Keep those uh, timbers shivering. Yar. Billy Bond. <laughs> still great. I still love it. Classic. Classic. Oh, Billy Bonds. Okay. Billy Bonds. <laughs> you can do a master cut of Billy Bones impressions, but yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna spend the rest of the week doing that. So, um, till then. Brilliant. Until then. Until then.